1: Welcome to Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. So go to LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. Well, day one with Vets on Duty was so good, we're doing a day two. Our two gentlemen from Vets on Duty, voices of veterans that need to be included in the political conversation. More with them next. Next.
0: For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya.
1: dot veteransonduty.org is something that I've discovered recently, new organization. I want to introduce them to you. And so today is part two of our podcast with Jimmy Byrne and Jason Church. Jason Church is the chairman of Veterans on Duty. Jimmy Byrne is a board member, an advisory board, a member of the board, and they're both joining me now. We've been spending a lot of time on talking about how CRT and gender teachings i don't even know what to call it are infiltrating our armed services and and you guys i'm i'm sitting here looking at the veterans on duty podcast or excuse me website uh and you've got these priorities and your goals number one in america that wins we talked about that in the first part number two is a stronger national defense and i'm going to start with jason um Are we what is the status of our national defense right now in your estimation? Well,
2: I still think that the United States has the best military in the world. I I still think that the people who go into the service do so out of love for country. I think that we still have equipment and ability that allows us to project uh, force abroad if necessary. But there are cracks right now. There are cracks that are beginning to appear, and these are things that are going to be exacerbated over time. I mean, right now, we have got Navy ships pulling into port yards here in the United States that look like 10,000-pound rust buckets. We have got an antiquated uh, process of being able to get new equipment for the military. Uh, For your listeners, the military every single year gets authorized money by Congress to then Train people, buy ships, buy planes, train you on it, and then potentially, if necessary, go to war with it. And that process right now is not giving war fighters enough ability to project modern warfare. Remember last, how so? Well, for the last 20 years, we have been fighting what we call the global war on terror. All right. And I won't get into the nuance of the doctrine on all of that. But what that has done is it's shifted the focus away from what is more traditional conflict. And we've got enemies right now, like China and Russia and North Korea, that are modernizing their militaries. China already has a larger fleet than we do. Right? They are already investing in technology to disrupt our infrastructure, whether it's electronically or, quite frankly, in some cases, physically. Uh, they are growing in capability. Our military is not reflecting that right now we are still trying to buy more ships, buy more planes that sometimes even the service branches will say they don't need or want. And this goes into a bigger problem of Washington in the swamp. One of the things Veterans on Duty is really focused on doing is becoming more involved in that author, what we call authorization and procurement process, and really it's becoming more involved with the people who sit on Capitol Hill and making sure that we're actually equipping and training people to fight tomorrow's wars, not looking back in retrospect at yesterday's. Because remember, technology changes, and I think we need to be engaging the private sector more in this. Um, it's, I think, one of the greater aspects of American culture is that we have people who immigrate to this country, bring great ideas and are able to profit from it. And I think part of the reason that our military has always been formidable has been that we have had advanced things. We have been able to tap into that talent that we have here in America. And I think that's something that we'll be focusing on to prepare because that's what you want to do. You, know, you talked about it in the podcast in the previous episode about being prepared. And you want to be so prepared for war that it scares your enemies from so you never even wanting to fight it. Because I will tell you, Precisely. as someone who has been in war, it's hell. You don't want to experience it. And I do not wish that upon my children or grandchildren or anyone else's. It's an unfortunate aspect that we have to live with. But we better be prepared for it. We better be prepared for it. Otherwise, we will have more and more losses than, quite frankly, we should have.
1: Hey. Jimmy what do you see in terms of the receptivity on the part of people in Washington in to to say yeah you know what maybe this maybe we should open our eyes to to the way we're doing things are they receptive i mean i you
3: mean as far as building building the military up from where we are yes now? Yeah, I mean, I I have seen some receptivity there. Um, I worked in the United States Senate uh, briefly um, last year, actually, and uh, I was with the Senate Armed Services Committee, um, and also worked with Senator Tom Cotton while I was there, who's you know one of the biggest proponents for uh, you know uh, defense innovation and national security that we have in the Senate. Um, and it, there is definitely a receptivity in Congress where people are are starting to realize that. We may not be in a position that we want to be in right now if we had to go to war tomorrow with, you know, China or potentially Russia or, you know, both. Um, And they're starting to realize that we have fallen behind in many ways um, over the last 20 years. You know, as Jason was saying, we were focused on the war on terror. Um, And some of the doctrine and the technologies that go along with those things are not necessarily going to be the same ones that are going to be used in the next great power conflict. And we're already starting to see, you know, um, some of those technologies come to the battlefield in Ukraine. You know, we've been watching this for the last six to eight months very closely. Um, And I think that people in Congress are realizing we're going to have to double down in the near future, uh, and get uh, a defense budget that's going to be able to support the arms and equipment and training that we're going to need to get the military, um, w- to a state of readiness where it'll be ready to go for war. Um, I will say though that, uh, I don't think that we're moving fast enough right now. I think most of the people in vets on duty agree with that as well. Um, we're asking for defense budgets that are not keeping up with inflation, um, and it, which is another major issue now for us this year, um, and will probably continue to be in the short term. Um, and we do need to start getting more serious about this and moving towards it. I, I, I think we're waking up, but I don't think we're waking up fast enough.
1: Well, th- that's not what I wanted to hear, but, you know, that's what we <laughs> need to hear. I mean, th- y- you want to believe that the people representing us understand that their number one job in government is to protect the citizens of this country that's that's there's nothing more paramount and there's nothing more equitable by the way because we're talking about protecting every living soul on this in this country and so if they're unable to to do that at any given time i mean that's that frankly it it just pisses me off it really does and and i i get concerned jason about um Cybersecurity. Hi, everyone.
4: If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now.
1: Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. I don't know where we are on that, but it seems to me to be a a place that many countries, particularly China, can target us very easily. Where are we? How do we? Are we ready?
2: Well, I don't claim to be the smartest person in the world on cybersecurity. I was an infantryman in the army. But I will tell you that what <laughs> China is doing right now is very scary. And I think it's actually taking advantage of a system the United States helped create after the fall of the Soviet Union. I mean, you, you see free market, free trade ideals being abused by the Chinese Communist Party every single day. Yep. I mean, Huawei a telecommunications company has basically been trying to find and was finding ways of getting 5G service routers into the infrastructure of Europe. And it was pushed back here in the United States, but Canada was allowing some of this stuff for a while. My wife's from Brazil. I go down to South America a bit and check out what's going on down there. And you fly into airports in Latin America right now and you're seeing Huawei advertisements. Um, The issue with Huawei, of course, is that They are not a truly private entity. You know, they are not something that can be split from the Chinese Communist Party. The rule of law, what we have here in the United States, where, you know, you can't seize things from private individuals without some sort of court order, does not exist in China. It doesn't exist. It doesn't. The Chinese Communist Party can just go in and grab data. We've already seen stuff. I think it was recently there was a report about TikTok.
1: Exactly. I was going to bring up TikTok because that to me, it's like uh, it, it just uh, why wh- I know that TikTok has been banned in some countries and it should be banned in the United States of America.
2: Yeah. I mean, part of the problem with TikTok is that they have found mechanisms to be able to get themselves a little bit of distance from China, you know, people refer to it as TikTok and they're referring to it by its Mandarin Chinese name that they're able to kind of rebrand themselves, but they're still taking information from young Americans yeah. or even in the silliest of cases from people in our own armed services. I mean, the social yeah. media usage in the armed forces right now is, I think, actually a big problem. I think that it exacerbates uh, divide. I think that it allows for, uh, quite frankly, a, a, a fight back against the chain of command. I mean, really, what you're, what you're doing is you're giving people who have signed up to join the service a, a voice that, I'll be honest with you, shouldn't exist within the military. And remember, I mean, we've been fighting back on the stuff that's been going on, CRT and other stuff from the civilian side. But soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines are supposed to follow orders. And right now, if you have a bunch of stuff coming in, um, from the left, where they're able to, to, to start propagating this through TikTok. Our enemies like China are going to continue furthering dividing that, whether it's through an algorithm, yeah. whether it's through the platform, whether it's through stealing the information and using it for their own offensive purposes. I mean, this is all stuff that they have the capability of doing because they are able to take that information from TikTok without any sort of barrier between the Chinese Communist right. Party and that company. And that is scary.
1: Yeah. And that has been proven out. And that's why I wonder why we're not moving faster to just ban. that. I'm not about, I do not like bans. I don't like banning words. I don't like banning books, but this is, this is a dangerous piece of technology. Um You know, you guys talk a lot about the chain of command and, and Jimmy, just for a second, I, I want to remind people that when you volunteer to join one of the branches of military, you're, you know what you're signing up for, right? You know, that there is this chain of command and that your your freedoms in some way become limited. How How would you explain what the average service person goes through when they're enlisting and what they understand their role as an individual to be or not to be?
3: Yeah, so I, the, the chain of command is, as you said, sacrosanct in the United States military. I mean, it is it is the thing that drives virtually all of the interactions that happen um, from the lowest private, you know, up to the general or flag officer at the top of the chain of command. Um, and when you come into the military and you enlist or you become an officer, um, you take this oath of enlistment or um, oath of office where you pledge to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Uh, But you also, in, in taking this oath, also pledge to follow the orders of the officers or NCOs that are appointed over you, um, you know, it's so long as those orders that are being given to you are lawful. Um, Remind people those, what an NCO
1: is, what that stands for. Oh,
3: sorry. Yeah, excuse me. Sorry. Non-commissioned officers. So, Thank you. Okay. Um, we, yeah, non-commissioned officer, one of the enlisted people that's kind of in between privates and officers that okay. all run, essentially run the units. Um, so your sergeants, those types of people. Um, so, you know, you pledge to, to make sure that you follow the orders of those people, um, so long as his orders are, wa- are lawful. So if someone, you know, asks you to commit a war crime, uh, you're allowed to not follow that that order by, you know, the chain of command and the oath that you took. Um, but otherwise, uh, you know, you you have to follow what that commander or officer um, tells you to do. And, you know, to your point, there are certain things that um, that people when they join the military, you do give up some degree. Of freedom, including you know some constitutional rights in some ways um, or in limited amounts. You know you can't just say whatever you want. So a good example would be that you know if you're in the military, uh, you know you're not allowed to to make broad statements about Congress or the president that are disparaging or threatening to them um, in any any way, shape, or form. Because at the end of the day, we have what is called civilian control of the military, and so you know we are a special country in a lot of ways in that we placed. Uh, you know, civilian cabinet members uh, in charge of the military. So the secretary of defense, maybe not in the case of Lloyd Austin, who was a former general, but usually is a, a civilian who maybe had some military experience. Um, and, you know, we're not allowed to take uh, your make disparaging comments about politicians or anyone else, because, you know, we have to follow the orders that those people are giving us as well. Um, and so, you know, the daily life of a, a soldier or airman or whoever, you know, involves, to some degree, um, you know, sort of self-policing to make sure that you're not falling or running afoul of what that chain of command is and that you're following the orders of the people above you so long as they're lawful. All
1: right. All right. There are a couple more of your um, sort of goals on the website that I want to get into with you both. We'll take a quick break and do that. Well, <laughs> There really has never been a better time to invest in precious metals because we have inflation. We've got gas prices. We've got a future that looks a little uncertain right now with a war going on. And we're talking to these two vets today that make you wonder what our military is thinking. You want to have a good, solid, long-term play, and precious metals can help you do that. And for investing in gold and silver, I trust legacy precious metals. See, gold provides a hedge against inflation. It also protects against a weakening dollar. It's a good long-term play. And it's not like you have to invest everything in precious metals, but why not make it part of your portfolio? Let me give you a number to call these guys. And you want to do it soon because remember 2008, folks who invested in gold saw huge gains. Others lost their retirements. So this is something you want to do really soon. Here's the number, 866-528-1903. 866-528-1903. You can speak to an IRA expert. They can answer all your questions about making these investments, or you can download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. Veterans on Duty. I've got two of them with me, including the chairman, the chairman, Jason Church, Jimmy Byrne, who is a, a board advisor. Number three on the list, uh, uh, veteran vets on duty issues, number three is a focused military. And we talked a little bit about this. And I want to give a heads up to my producer, John Berg, who's got this um, sound. We played a little bit in our first part of this two-part series with you guys. Because I, I think what, what you mean when you talk about a focused military is one that is focused on the, the job at hand and not worrying about pronouns. And yet the Navy has made this video about proper usage of pronouns and being an ally to people by using their proper pronouns. John Bird, do we have another clip of that? We can just run and then we'll, I'll, I'll cue you when to turn it off.
5: Yeah, and now that you say that, another way that we could show that we're allies and that we accept everybody is to maybe include our pronouns in our emails or, like we just did, introduce ourselves using our pronouns.
2: But what would I do if I uh, misgender someone?
5: I think the first thing to recognize is that it's not the end of the world. You correct yourself and move on or you accept the correction and move on the most important thing I can tell you is do not put the burden of making you feel good about your mistake on the person that you just misgendered.
3: Oh, thank you for telling me that.
5: Yeah, and another tip uh, for you to remember their uh, pronoun next time, it's in your mind, kind of go through a progression of three good things about the person using (laughs) their pronoun. So let's say the person chooses to use they, Mm -hmm. then you will in your mind go, they have a nice shirt. They have a nice smile. They are really okay. smart. So that kind of sticks in your brain.
3: That is so helpful.
1: Uh, oh, make it stop. Make it stop. Okay. Stop it. Day, do, do, do. I can see. I can see. Jason, I was watching your face. <laughs> I mean, this is a video that the Navy produced. Uh, it seems to me that's not what you mean by a focused military? Am I right?
2: I guess that's your tax dollars at work. Um, oh God!
1: I want my money back. Yeah, well, I think
2: that Americans should have more of their money back, but <laughs> but you know, I I see that, and it's it's I don't even know how a military environment comes up with that type of material. I mean, it is obvious that this is being pushed politically, but there's also people within the military themselves that see a promotional opportunity and are very happy to put something on like that to appease some political appointee. And that bothers me. It bothers me on a lot of levels because when we say there's a lack of focus, what we really mean is that we're not focusing on the purpose of the military. And the purpose of the military is that when it is called to go to war, it defeats our enemies. And defeating enemies in war means killing our enemies, all right? It's lethality. It's being able to do the job as efficiently as possible while maintaining the security of our own forces. Seeing something like that I don't even, you can't explain to me how that furthers the mission. You can't explain to me how that makes us more lethal. The only thing that it explains to me is that we're, we're wanting to take a discourse in American grammar. I, I really don't understand how that furthers readiness. And let me give you an example of why. You know, when I, when I was in the military, you know, serving as an infantry officer, you know, there was a lot of physical standards that were forced upon us that you had to meet. Because what we're asking you to do is a very hard job. You know, you're carrying.
1: All right. Physically very yeah, demanding. Yeah.
2: We're, we're asking you to go to some of the worst areas of the world with little food, little water sometimes, carrying 80 to 100 pounds of equipment and being able to do this for days and days on end until you're resupplied. I mean, that's what the tip of the spear is. So when I see the left pushing not only this type of craziness through their video, but also trying to force units to conform to some sort of social standard. Now, look, I think if you meet the standard, if you meet the warrior standard, you can be part of a unit. But don't lower the standard. Don't make that weight lighter. Don't make that hard training less hard because war is not forgiving. War doesn't have a timeout. You know, I don't get a two minute warning in war. All right. Yeah, you don't. Yeah. Right. And the thing is, this is the kind of stuff that when myself, when I was injured, when I was laying on a battlefield, I mean, Michelle and I, he took my legs off. We were in an ambush situation. You know, this is a problem. I mean, it was very likely that my platoon was was going to have multiple killed in actions that day. Fortunately, they were very focused, very driven and capable, that's the other part, they were capable of being able to on the area off and then carry my body from this secure site over a mile to a helicopter. I mean, I'm not a light person, all right? I was probably 220 pounds. That is a lot of strength. It requires a lot of intestinal fortitude and it requires grit and toughness through training. The thing is, when the left focuses on all this other stuff, that goes to the wayside. That doesn't happen. And I will tell you that I probably wouldn't be alive if the training focused on other objectives, whether they be meeting uh, a, a quota for who serves in the military or focusing on things other than being a lethal fighting force.
1: I, I mean, you know what, Jimmy, I'm, I'm hearing people in the back. Of my I'm hearing the arguments and they're saying this. Well, if you want to recruit you know, let's recruit everyone and welcome everyone and be inclusive and diverse. And, but I'm not sure that the military, um, sentiment or the, the mindset of someone in the military is someone who worries about this kind of thing. I, 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 I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. I mean that it, it, this seems to me to be counterproductive because it, it almost appears as though it, this is driving people away and making people go this is this is what i'm signing up for i i don't know how do you see that
3: yeah i mean you know i understand the military sentiment trying to you know trying to expand the recruiting base as they're watching uh you know watching a, a potential collapse happening right now or a collapse that is, is appears hopefully not imminent but um the problem is though is that uh, in, in trying to reach out to that recruiting base, you know, you don't have to use identity politics or, or any of this other stuff to try to do that. You know, we have attracted people from all over the country by, uh, you know, doing what I was talking about, I, I think, in our previous episode, um, you know, focusing on the great qualities and the values that the military brings to people, you know, whether that is, you know, fighting for your country or defending the Constitution, you know, working in your neighborhoods if you're in the National Guard and helping those people out. Like these are all things that the military could be focusing on um, to try to bring people from all walks of life into the military. And and they're not doing that. You know, they're they're creating these very individualistic sort of in some cases bizarre recruiting commercials. Um, that are not really bringing people, uh, you know, that we're looking for people that, you know, are want to serve their country and are patriotic and everything else, they may not be bringing those people into the folder, attracting those people. And then as they're creating these things, and they're reaching out to some of these, these other portions of society, it's not apparent to me that they're, they're being successful in bringing in more recruits that way. And one of the things that, yeah, one of the things I talked about in the article, you know, is that, traditionally the majority of or the vast proportion of troops that are in the military are coming from mostly, you know, uh, said the Southeast or conservative sort of areas. And they tend to skew privately conservative. Um, you know, they don't, maybe don't express that when they're in the military because you're supposed to remain a political, right. But they still have, they still have those feelings. And when they're, they're looking at these commercials, you know, they're not seeing the the patriotism and the defending the country and the working for your neighborhood, you know, portion that they've always been attracted to. They're seeing some of this, you know, identity politics and this sort of individualism thing uh, finding its way into it. Not, you know, coming and being part of America's team. Right. And it's unfortunate because I I certainly believe that you know, among many other things, including health issues with college or with high school students and and other things of that nature. Um, you know, this is is one piece of that puzzle that they really need to try to get solved and, and get this appearance of politicalization away so that we can bring in recruits from traditional recruiting pools and new ones as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I, I. You know, the old shake in my head, that's where, what I'm doing, uh, the the fourth and final uh Item on the the issues that you list on your website is a shared burden. Success on the battlefield cannot be achieved solely by American troops, but by the combined might of our allied forces. How are we doing with that, Jason? How how's that going for us right now? Where do where do you, what's the status of? Yeah, uh, I remember when when Trump was in office, people said we were the laughing stock, but I think that people other countries kind of feared him you know, whether you like him or not, whatever. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not suggesting anyone feel any certain way about Trump. But now we've got Joe Biden in office. And again, I'll stay away from how I feel about Joe Biden. Why would I do that? I I, no. I won't do that. Come on. (laughs) No, here's how I feel about Joe Biden. I think he's weakened us. That's how I feel. I am going to say it. Um. So do we have the kind of ally commitment, the allies that that we need to share that burden?
2: Well, when you look at the strongest or the, the most uh, acknowledge, acknowledged alliance in the world, and that's NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. And, you know, that was formed after World War II uh, to counter the Soviet Union. And its expansion over the past uh, few decades has brought in a lot of different voices from Europe. Um, one of the problems that I know President Trump talked about, though, was that there is a commitment to spending at least 2% of your GDP of your nation on your armed services. And I think a lot of people in Europe were, I'll be honest with you, kind of taking advantage of that situation. Uh, The United States has been able to provide uh, a substantially large military, well-equipped and well-trained for decades. And I think some European nations just became accustomed to that and then were able to take their tax dollars and spend them, quite frankly, on some other social pet projects. But we're seeing what's happening to Germany and their energy reliance. So, I mean, you know, you can get into a whole spiel here whole about how Europe has stuff. mismanaged yeah. their tax dollars. But I won't tell them that. I'm not a European right. citizen. The, the issue is that the United States has made commitments across the world. And we do that with the faith that our allies will do their part. I mean, we're not asking them to be as big as we are or have as many people or have capabilities, but it's that they put in their fair share. And that 2% GDP marker for NATO is a fair one. I think we also have to be looking at the Asian Pacific realm as well. You know, uh, we have allies. Australia has been a great ally for us for a long time down there. Um, They're building submarines there that will have a capability of deterring the Chinese threat that's occurring in their area. But we also need nations like Japan to start looking at having an ability to properly deter China. I mean, right now, we really provide the defense for all of Asia. Um, South Korea has some capabilities, but we have a military base there. Um, you know, we have Okinawa and Japan. The allies around our world need to also be putting in their fair share because it is not just the American people's burden to make sure that the world doesn't go into flames. All right, and We have obviously a lot of power and ability to do things, but to do it alone is something that, quite frankly, I, I share American sentiment that we shouldn't be doing that. You know, as someone who has put on the uniform and fought across the world against terrorism, you know, that shouldn't just be our burden to share. Um, And we need our allies to know that. And I think they're beginning to in some areas, but we certainly need to be pressing it more. I'm very concerned at this point about how the prioritization of this administration has been some kooky deals with Iran about the nuclear program. I mean, I, you don't. I don't trust those yeah. guys. They've had a track record of not being trusted. So, in order, when we're yeah. talking about growing allies, I'm not talking about Biden trying to create crazy treaty agreements with Iran. I mean, they're, that's completely on the other sphere. Here. What we're talking about is making sure our allies begin to equip themselves and train themselves to help us fight, or more importantly, prevent another war from happening.
1: Well, we've got war in Ukraine right now. And Jimmy, I think there are mixed feelings about how much America should be giving and helping. And, you know, we, we started out thinking this was going to be quick and over with. It's dragged on. People are now... It was very quick that people got fatigue from watching this stuff. In the beginning, it was all... We were just watching the news. We were gripped by it. And now it's sort of become yesterday's news but the funding keeps going i hope it's being well utilized what can you tell us about that your opinion about that vets on duties uh, opinion about how we're assisting ukraine should we even be assisting ukraine and uh, kind of what the end game is there
3: yeah, I mean, I, I think my my opinion on the matter is that you know if you've watched, if you've been paying attention to the news the last couple of days, um, you know, fortunately we've seen that the Ukrainians have really you know seem to have made uh, really great progress, particularly right. in the northeastern parts of of Ukraine, and uh, and they they're making progress to some degree in the south, but certainly not as much as this route that's happened up north. I mean, look, you know, I understand that, uh, you know, we just got done with a 20 year war where we spent a trillion dollars. And I understand that, you know, a lot of American citizens, you know, opinions about how far that money went and and what was done with it, particularly because of the, the way that Afghanistan ended. Um, you know makes a lot of people fatigued about the situation um, the one thing I do want to to really stress though is is you know Russia Russia was the aggressor on this one they walked into another country um, really six or eight years ago now in 2014 yeah um, and and just walt- waltz all over it and then uh, you know can- said they wouldn't do it again and then now they're they launched a full-scale invasion of this country. Um, and you see what type of leader Vladimir Putin is, you know, the, the viciousness with which Russian citizens have treated uh, the Ukrainians. And um, one thing I will say is that our NATO allies, I, I've worked most of my deployments in the military were into Eastern Europe. And it was after the Crimea um, invasion in 2014. I did a lot of work with NATO and those those Eastern European countries are some of the ones that, uh, really, uh, meet those commitments that Jason was talking about in NATO. And they've been invaded by Russia before. They've been held down by Russian communism in the past. Uh, and they don't want to see that happen again. And it's, it's not within the United States' interests, in my opinion, uh, for us to allow Ukraine to be run rush-shot over as well. I think that in terms of the money itself, I think in the weapons and everything else we've been sending, I, look, I mean, I, I think it's having an effect. And I think the last couple of days has been, um, you know, uh, proving of that, that it's having an effect on wearing down, you know, one of our strategic adversaries. And we didn't ask for for this war from Russia, you know, and I know there's some pundits that will say that the U.S. or NATO were aggressors in this somehow, but that's that's not the case. Uh, And uh, I think that the money that we voted on, you know, that Congress has voted on to send over there is going towards a worthy cause of of grinding down the Russian war machine until hopefully we can reestablish the borders in Ukraine. And hopefully, uh, you know, Russia doesn't try anything else or isn't capable of doing so afterwards.
1: It is a scary, crazy time in the world right now. And so when I see a group like Veterans on Duty come together to... Stand up for what I believe is right. Uh, I get very happy about that. And so I'm, I'm happy to amplify your voices. Jason, last word to you. What do you guys need as an organization? Uh, clearly you probably want funding, but what, what, what would help you the most in terms of fighting these missions that you're you're fighting here at home?
2: Well, first, I think we need to expand our profile. We need to be getting into some places across the United States because I'll be honest with you, most of the defense and foreign policy kind of discussion world occurs out in Washington, D.C. Um, but the funny yeah. thing is, as Jimmy was alluding to, the, the war fighters come from all parts of this country. And I think one of the things that we're going to do is be going into Midwestern states, communities, southern states, western states, and talking with people who have served in the armed forces, getting them on board with our program, and getting their input. You know, we have a membership program. We want people to be active participants in veterans on duty because, you know, we we, we understand that opinions on these matters come from all different places and have validity for all different reasons. And those who have put on a uniform understand why we do it and if they believe in our values, as you were mentioning in on the podcast here, we need that input. So the more our message can get spread, whether it's through social media, whether it's through traditional channels, we would need that. Because to amplify, to actually make a difference in Washington, you need numbers, you need people, and you need to be able to bring that effort with you know a, a strength. And that happens because we spread the word. I I think that part of the beauty of the American system is the First Amendment and our ability to express opinions. And I think having veterans on duty go out throughout the country and have our membership go up will be something that allows us to fulfill our goals. I think that that is really, at the end of the day, the biggest ask that we can make for all of your listeners on this program.
1: All right. It is veteransonduty.org. Go check them out, please. Um, At times like this, when you feel people putting down the military or influencing through gendered language and CRT, it is so good to see people who stand up for what the principles of the military really are or should be and were designed to be. So, gentlemen, I'm so grateful that you spent time with us. In two parts on this podcast, thank you so much for being here. We'll probably have you back as, as situations warrant throughout the rest of the, the year or however long we're around. So thanks very much, guys.
3: Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, Michelle. Really appreciate it. Thank you.
1: This has been Sideline Sanity. I'm Michelle Tafoya. Be brave, do good, and check out vetsonduty.org. Vetsonduty.org. Well, sideline sanity. We are very proud to be sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals, and we're joined by Charles Thorngren, the CEO of Legacy Precious Metals. Charles, we are hearing now that this is not transitional inflation. This is not a bump in the road. This inflation is going to be here a while. What, what does that? What does that tell you?
4: You know, that's the scary thing. Um, I think, you know, economies and, and and such like that, they can deal with small jars. We have a unique situation. We had a Fed that waited much too long to react to the situation, calling inflation transitory for a year when everyone knew it wasn't. But more importantly than that, coming out now saying this is going to be here. This is long term. This is not short term. We're going to have elevated rates for the long term. And why that gets really scary is that means the cost of doing business is going to be elevated for years, which means the cost of goods are going to be elevated for years, which means if companies can't make enough money, they will go out of business. This is why we, we hear some of your bigger companies are already talking about layoffs. So it's a unique situation. The Fed found themselves in a very bad place. And they reacted way too slow, and this is why we're at where we're at.
1: So, if I'm an investor, then what's why do I want gold and silver in my portfolio? What what will that do for me?
4: You know, that's a great question, and that's a question we get a lot. And and really, what gold and silver do? um, They act as the hedge against the dollar weakness. They act as a hedge against the other markets, and we know that the Dow and, and all of your markets, all your indices are, are, are pulling back, right? That's not the issue. It's not what's already happened. It's what's yet to come. And that's where we, we need to prepare. So depending on who you listen to and, and the research that you do, you know, there are case studies of saying expect to see another 25, 20 to 25% pullback in your equities markets based on interest rates and loans and, and the bond markets they're suffering as well. No one's going out to buy bonds knowing that they're going to be, um, an increased return on them in three months. It makes no sense. So that leaves you in a position of what to do with your money and how to protect yourself. This is where gold and silver come in. this is why we say this is a long-term play. You buy it, you forget about it, let it do its, its job. And its job is to go up over time. As the dollar gets weaker, as the purchasing power gets less gold and silver, Increase. It protects that purchasing power. That's the great thing about it.
1: And there's your bottom line and why you need to call Legacy Precious Metals or go download their investor's guide at LegacyPreciousMetals.com. Charles, it's always good to talk to you because these are nerve wracking times for people. Uh, You know, it's just the fact of the matter is, as we were told by the the Fed chair, there's going to be some pain. So if people know that they've got something solid sitting in their investment portfolio, I think they're going to feel a little bit better, right?
4: Absolutely. And we, you know, when we look at the actions that have happened just recently, I mean, the Fed has taken a very unique stance and they've done something very um, extraordinary. Three quarters of a basis points raises months in a row. That's one of the largest raises you've ever seen in the Fed through the history of the Fed. And it's not just once. One time is shocking. Here we are on the third month now, and we'll probably do another half a half a basis point next month or, or later this month, possibly even three-quarters of a point. So when you look at that and you say that number is going to grow to where the Fed interest rates will be about 5%, unheard of. That means the interest rate to you and I, if that's what banks – Pay to borrow money, we're going to see, you know, credit cards will probably be over 28, 30% again. You're going to see home loans coming in 9, 10, possibly even 11%. And it's it's a scary time. And this is why we say, okay, know that it's coming. Don't be afraid. You, you now are aware, so now you can protect yourself. And that's what we help people do.
1: Don't be afraid. Prepare just prepare yourself. And like I say every day, I trust Legacy Precious Metals when it comes to investing in gold and silver. So go to LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. Charles and his group can answer any and all of your questions. Charles, thank you so much.
0: My pleasure as always